Thanks to all who continue to listen. Now, Season 3, Episode 11, Wonder Woman. So I sort of have two stories. So back when COVID started, we used to get these little dots with, um, and depending on the color was the date that we got screened. So basically before I could enter clinic or the hospital, they would check my temperature, rule out that I had any symptoms. You would get this special little dot to put on your ID. And maybe in my rebellious state, Um, Because I knew from some of the early papers coming out of China, but also I didn't know to trust those papers or not from China, that some of the patients who had COVID never spiked the temperature. So I felt like it was a little bit like false security. Um, So I got these little circle Amazon stickers, not little Wonder Woman stickers on Amazon. And I put that on my ID instead and oddly enough, nobody ever like questioned me, but I also was like very COVID Nazi. Like I always wore my mask. And actually when I got COVID, I had no idea how I got COVID um, because I was wearing my mask all the time. But I also know that depending on the type of mask you're wearing and your exposure to someone with a high concentration, um, it, 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 how many hours you were exposed to them, you could still get it or it could still penetrate technically through the mask. So sometimes with high-risk patients, I would always wear my N95 and then I would wear like a a cheaper disposable mask on top of it so I wouldn't keep contaminating my N95 because um, we had to wear the N95 mask like days in a row. And I actually ended up buying my own N95 mask because the frequency of masks that they provided started getting mask acne. I felt like I was in high school all over again. That being said, so I sort of dished the dot and eventually the hospital did too and I had a Wonder Woman sticker. And actually, I remember there was one time I had a patient that did something and I don't know what what they actually did. I think maybe they stopped smoking so we could get the surgery because sometimes the insurance companies won't approve it. Um, I don't know if I've talked about smoking or not, but basically the nicotine causes vasoconstriction in the arteries. And so when you have vasoconstriction, that's actually making the artery smaller. So going from a three-lane highway to a two-lane highway. And in theory, because of this constriction after surgery, you don't get a lot of blood supply to that area. And especially with fusions, and what is a fusion? I Describe fusions like pouring cement. So you have the wood frame and you pour the cement and the cement hardens. Or think of a, you know, when you break your arm and you put it in a cast, you need the bones to heal together. Well, basically, if you don't get great blood supply and healing, the bones won't heal or they'll not have a strong healing or we call that pseudoarthrosis. Or think of like uh the cement being soft, where like where you walk on it, you can get your footprint. It doesn't hasn't hardened, and over time that will stress the wood frame. Well, insurance companies and there's literature to support this have realized that if you're not a smoker, you that's less than ten percent chance that you're going to have problems and have to have reoperations. 
Well, if you're a smoker, it's like 50-50 shot. It's going to heal well and you might have to have a, re, a revision. So a lot of the insurance companies trying to save cost, especially after COVID, are basically denying any fusions on smokers. So I have to like tell my patients, get a free nicotine, like get a nicotine test, make sure it's out of the system before I can even um, submit to their insurance company or they'll straight up deny it. And the only, only, um, honestly, the only ones that aren't are Tri-West and a lot of people, I don't know if people know, but they say provided cigarettes in the veterans or in the, like during Vietnam up to like 1976. So they should pay for it because I think they're the ones that started people smoking. So I think one time I gave, and actually I think it was a man. And I said, I wish I could give you like a gold star sticker, but all I have are these Wonder Woman stickers and he was fine. So I'm sort of funny like that. Um, but back to my Wonder Woman. So back in residency training, I had a patient who needed, um, who had a stroke, who needed what we call an external ventricular drain. And I might have talked about this before, but basically in your brain, you have a fluid system and that's where you get your spinal fluid, like from a lumbar puncture. And that fluid system sort of looks like, I, I, I call it like a butterfly on top, two lateral ventricles that connect in a Y. So a Y is sort of like the third ventricle and it goes down the bottom part of the Y goes to the fourth ventricle and all the way down to the spine, like the spinal cord and all that fluid. And so you make about a half a liter of fluid. An adult makes a half a liter of fluid daily. And in the system, it's about 150 to 200 cc's or milliliters at one time. So sometimes when people have a stroke or a bleeding stroke, it can actually get in that system. And I, I describe it to patients and families like getting hair clotted in a drain. And you're going to keep making it just like saliva. And so over time, if you don't um, release the pressure, um, it can cause your brain to have a secondary stroke. Um, or we call it herniation. And I just do, so how do we release the pressure? So think, I just, my analogy is like, think of a sink that's clogged. You know, you have that backward hole in the sink. That way, so like it won't overflow. And that's exactly what I do. I place that backward hole in, and I put a drain. It's like a small catheter. I would say a little bit bigger than a coffee straw into that fluid system and allow the fluid that is stopped up from the blood clogging it to drain or to sort of, uh, walk, uh, and, it, and it takes time for the body to absorb that. Sometimes people don't, aren't able to absorb it or within like one to two weeks and that's an infection risk. So, um, depending on how the patient's doing, we'll, uh, place a shunt to drain the fluid into their abdomen or their abdominal cavity usually if they haven't cleared enough blood. But the caveat, and this is interesting, so sometimes those catheters clot. And, and you might say, why don't you do a shunt right away? Well, if the catheter can clot, and if you don't know that it's clot, then that fluid will build up. But if you're draining that fluid into a bag and all of a sudden it's not draining, then 
you can either try to, like I say, sort of milk it out. Like sometimes you can take an alcohol pad on the distal catheter portion and sort of do a suction and get that clot out. Or sometimes you have to replace it with another catheter. And so we call that an external ventricular drain. And all this is done like in the ER or in the ICU. Rarely do I ever do it in the OR. In the OR, I usually do it because I'm doing another surgery with it. So in the ICU or in the ER, how do I do it? Well, usually the patient's pretty somnolent. So, but at these two um, areas, you can give them sedation meds. Um, and I, I, sometimes they're so sleepy, I just do local. And the reason I just do local is because I need to do know their neuro exam after I do it. Number one, number two, waiting for a nurse to do all that. Sometimes it's like life-threatening and you need to get that catheter in. And I remember there was, there's been a handful of times and I, and I actually remembered it after I had a patient um, that I knew that I got to him too late. And, and so it's like time is brain. And, and usually you have six to eight hours, but if someone's really bad and they're still bleeding and it's occluding and that blood's taking place of that spinal fluid, you might have like 15 minutes or less, which it's hard to do this procedure in 15 minutes. But basically what you have to do is you have to shave their head. And then I, the area, usually you go right, but sometimes I have to go to the left depending on the neuroanatomy and pathology of the bleed. But if you look at your pupil, and I actually have it measured on my hand. So where your pupil is, um, you go from, uh, so there's a coronal, so you're, you go like, like if you uh, draw a straight line from your pupil all the way back. And so at the midline, so, so it, I, it's usually about three and a half centimeters off your midline. And I usually go 10 to 11 centimeters from, you know, that point on your nose, that divot um, between your eyes straight back. So we call it Coker's point. So it's like 10 to 11 centimeters back, three to four centimeters over. Four centimeters is about two lateral. And then I sort of, then I enter and I go perpendicular to the skull at that point at an angle and it hits like the bullseye in your brain, which is the frame of Monroe to drain this fluid. But how do you do this? So I, so I shave the hair. And this patient had lice and like all the nurses were freaking out in, tra in training. And I go in with my hands on my hips and I said, have no fear. Dr. Hutchins is here. And not that black people can't get lice. It's very difficult because I mean, this, this lady, this patient was Caucasian. And so it's harder for the lice to, uh, uh, to, to like, cling on to the coiled that like African-Americans have this, our hair is this naturally thick and it's like a coil. And I think there's actually been research that that curly hair, um, number one, I think it's an evolutionary, I shouldn't say this evolution, but like in Africa, the sun is very hot it keeps a lot of people from getting sunburn on their head because of the coil. And I have seen so many, and 
maybe, maybe this is because I was like, how do I know this? But I also, I actually operate on the head. So many like white men who are bald have skin cancer up on their head because they just have no hair in it or it's thin and the sun just, um, gets them there. And I was thinking, how do I know about that? Yeah, I operate on the head. I always tell my patients, like, I give the most expensive haircuts, but, um, and like 99% of them laugh. I said, I get the most, you know, like, I'm like, I'm the one to go to. I'm like, I get the most expensive haircuts you're ever going to have. Um, so anyway, with this lice, I was like, I'll, I'll shave her head. So, which is hard to do, but I shaved her head and they still had to do treatment. Um, but I wasn't worried about getting lice when everybody else was freaking out. Now in hindsight, you know, like lice is treatable. Like I was freaking out more about COVID when it first came out because we just didn't know about it. Um, so, but I remember, so anytime like a patient has lice, which is not very often, like I'm like, I said, like it's Dr. Hutchins Wonder Woman because of my ethnicity. And so anyway, I shaved her head and then I was able, so basically with the drain, I do local and I make an incision about two centimeters. I do a skin blade and you have to go all the way to this because we don't have cautery doing it in these areas. So I go all the way to the bone and then there's a little retractor and I call it a cricket that I retract. And then with that skin blade, the opposite, they're usually, they're all plastic disposable. I take the plastic in and I, there's this periosteum, this thin layer of like tissue on the, the skull that I scrape so I get bone because I don't want to slip. I confirm with my hand because I have a measure on my hand where I need to go, where I need to um, start the drill. And I usually ask one of the nurses to go underneath the drapes to hold the head. And we have a hand drill. Like, you think this is all fancy is that we have a hand drill. And actually at the nurse surgery conference I went to last week, there was this lady and she thought like I was still a resident. And I was like, no. And she was trying to push these, um, these drills that were power, a power drill. She said, there's less likely that you'll plunge. And I was like, well, I don't plunge. And she's like, well, how often do you do this? And I said, well, it just when I'm on call, but it's not, you know, it's not too often. And she's like, well, we have a no plunge, right? And I was like, well, I just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily need it. And he's like, well, how many have you done? I've done hundreds. And she's like, oh, I said, I'm actually practicing. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize it. And I was like, yeah. You know, if Leonardo DiCaprio asked me for my number, I would tell him he was like 16 years too late. You know, I just look young for my age. And I think I finally got her to crack a smile. But she's trying to sell me her product. And I was like, I don't know if the guys will want, you know, not that we don't want power drills, but we're used, to, I mean, I've been doing this since 2008. How long is that? Like 15 years. Yeah. It's hard to like, you know, show it, you know, I'm, I'm just used to the hand drill by now, but basically with a hand drill, you start and it has a drill bit and you start in the outer table and you drill and you gets like sawdust or bone dust. And then it, it gets out. I know this all by tactile and it, and then it gets easy and then you get in that inner table bone and then it gets hard again. And then right when it gets where you can't, you have to slur it, you can't turn it. That's when you're right at the inner part of that inner table. And then it, there is like a, this little plunge motion, but it never plunges in the brain. Like, cause you, it, it lets you know how far you have to go. And then usually, um, sometimes the dura is ripped. I feel I palpate it with 
um, actually the, the, the uh, hand drill adjuster for the drill bit, I can palpate to see if I get the drill or not. If not, they have what 11 a blade, usually in the kit, which is really a pointy scalpel. I make a small nick in the dura because if not, you can get that dura. If you don't open it, it can redirect you where you don't want to be and you can be off. And so it's like playing darts, like you want to be in the bullseye. So then I usually take the catheter and the catheter is usually depending on the patient, it's about six centimeters, six to six and a half, seven max um, at the bone. Now, sometimes the people, sometimes people have thick skulls and so it, it might be a little bit more, but then I thread the catheter and the catheter actually has a metal, like a small metal wire inside it and I thread it down till you know the distance I think perpendicular and then I watch and then I bring out the the uh, the metal rod and I see if I got spinal fluid and if not then I look at the trajectory that I'm at and I and I reevaluate it um, but back in training I was the one they called when they couldn't get it like when residents couldn't get it they'd be like call Leslie because I was like I can't I think I like I got all but like one and the one I didn't was when someone else couldn't get it. So I have to sort of see where their hole is because sometimes it, it's too lateral, too medial. And you have to also account from brain shift. So you have to redirect your aim based on if the brain is shifted one way or the other and swelling. Um, but And actually Joel, my junior resident, was the one who took over as me, uh, took over as the one to call if there was problems and I wonder if I taught him or not I don't I can't take credit for it but I most likely taught him my technique that's probably why I was so good at it um little narcissism there but anyway so I was like have no fear Dr. Hutchins is here and I came in and I did the patient's EVD with the lice and she was on precautions all the time and of course I didn't care I would go in and check on her but and I, she survived so Anyway, that's my Wonder Woman um, take. And I, that was probably like before Wonder Woman. When did it yeah, that was before Wonder Woman. But I was like, I, I said it was like, I don't know. I could have been like Captain Underpants. I sort of had this stance. Like I was going to go in and save the day, which I did because nobody else wanted to go do it. But I mean, the patient's going to die if you don't do it. So what what's lice going to do? But I also had to make sure that I tried to get all the lice off because you don't want lice now i have a catheter where they can like actually crawl into the brain through that catheter in theory but they didn't but anyway thanks again for continuing to listen sorry i'm a little rambling have had i was on call monday through thursday yeah through friday morning and then friday i spent like from 7 to ten forty-five in the or operating so that was like 16 hour day on my feet so I'm just kind of exhausted so but thanks again for your support thank you for listening to this podcast I hope you enjoyed